Our text this morning is found in Luke chapter 22. We begin reading in verse number 54. While you're turning there, I want to share something with you um, that really just blessed my heart. Um, Wednesday after church, church had been over for, for quite a while, and I got a text message from Donna, Ms. Donna. And uh, she said, can you talk? And I said, yeah. And so I, I called Donna, and, and um, she said, I, I didn't, you know, sometimes after Wednesday night, she don't know something might have happened. There might have been a problem with a child or something. But she said, uh, she said I, I, I got to ask you a question. I said, okay. And she said, our children are starting to ask questions that are real hard to answer. And I said, okay. And she told me the question that the child asked in um, this past Wednesday evening. They were talking about the Trinity, about the doctrine of the Trinity. And when Donna asked me, told me the question that the child had asked, it just really, I, I just, she couldn't see it. I was on the phone, but I just broke out in a huge smile because it was the exact same question that in my seminary class this week, my professor had posed to us in my seminary class. And it has to do, it's a, it's a word that, yeah, well, I won't use the word because I'll mess it up. But anyway, what I know is this. Our children are growing so deep in God's Word. I am, I'm, and Awana's is probably had an impact. The, 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 the adults who lead our children's church on Sunday mornings tell me now that our children ask the best questions, and talk about the lesson, and get involved more than they ever have. And I just want to take a moment and say, if you're involved in Awanas, if you're involved in helping there in any way, shape, form, or fashion, thank you. Our children are going to be able to defend their faith and be able to, um, uh, to lead people to Christ and to be able, when they lead this church, to be able to... Um, uh, many of you have seen several of our youth who are going, who have said the Lord is calling me into missions or the Lord is calling me to be a youth minister. Um, I expect that number to grow a whole lot over the next few years because of what is happening in our children's ministry right now. So um, if you, we will, um, Awanas will end sometime toward the end of April. Um, it'll pick back up right as school starts back, I believe is the schedule there. But if you, or not, if you're an adult and you haven't been involved in that ministry and you feel any leading, uh, please talk to Ms. Donna and, and let her know that. But I wanted to share that with you this morning. It really blessed my heart. Um, let's read these texts today. We are, we are looking toward Easter. We're getting close. Last week we talked about Jesus declaring to Simon Peter, uh, revealing to his disciples about the cross. This week we stick with uh, Simon Peter. And we look at his denial of Jesus. Beginning in verse number 54, it says, <clears throat> Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, But you also, you also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. 
But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, today you will deny, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever, have you ever suffered the pain of rejection? I was looking at some examples of people who had suffered great rejection and turned that into, um, into something positive. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. He was told by the coach it was because of a lack of skill. Michael only went on to become the greatest uh, player ever in the NBA. Elvis Presley was told by the grand old Opry manager, you have no future in this. You should go back to driving a truck. Steven Spielberg was turned down three times by the, by the USC Southern Cal School of Film. Steven Spielberg only went on to uh, make Jaws, E.T., Saving Private Ryan, and several other great movies. And Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because the editor said Walt Disney had a lack of imagination. Jesus was rejected in a much deeper sense. Jesus would suffer rejection here in this story, uh, by, in these scriptures that we read here. He suffers rejection from probably the one who would be considered to be his closest disciple, Simon Peter. Tim Keller talks about the, the rejection that Christ takes on during the Easter season. And he says this, he says, No greater pain has ever been experienced on any level than the hell of Christ suffering in this moment. But why? Because he carried all of that pain, sin, guilt, and shame in those moments, yet on a far deeper level, he was forsaken and punished for us to reconcile us to God. Now, this morning at the front door, at, at the front door if one of you were to shake my hand and to look at me and say, I never want to see you again. I never want to talk to you again. I never want to be, I never want to be in your presence again. It would hurt. It really would. But if it were Bree who walked to the back door and said, I never want to see you again. I never want to talk to you again. I never want to, ha I never want to have anything else to do with you again. Which if you could have been at my house this morning when I was leaving with the wrong outfit on, you might have thought that she felt that way. But if it were Bree who said those words to me, it would hurt much, much deeper because we've been together now for 22 years and counting. And it's a much deeper uh, relationship than I have with anyone else here. Think about this. Jesus Christ had been with God the Father. Um, they have been together for all of eternity. This forsakenness, this loss was between the Father and the Son who loved each other from all eternity. All eternity. Jesus, the maker of the world, is being unmade. Why? Jesus was, experienced judge, was experiencing judgment day. Later on, Jesus, in just a few hours, Jesus will utter these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question on his part, and the answer is this. He did this for you, for me, for us. 
Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell on instead on Jesus. So, as we begin to work our way toward the cross, we've seen the revelation of the cross in Matthew chapter 16. A little bit before the scripture that we're reading this morning, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And earlier in John chapter 14, Jesus had made promises to the disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. There had been the institution of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's prediction, just a little bit before this, of Peter's denial. And then the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. And now we come up to the point to where Peter himself has denied Jesus Christ. And we begin by looking at Peter following from a distance. Now Peter, Simon Peter is Satan's target. He is the main focus outside of Jesus now and the arrest. Simon Peter becomes the main focus of Satan himself. Because Peter is the leader. Simon Peter is the leader of the group. Simon Peter's name is mentioned 200 times in the Gospels. That is twice as many times as James and John put together. So Peter is, is the main man. He's front and center in God's plan after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter is the spokesman for the group. He's the bold one of the group. Jesus has prepared him differently than he has prepared the other 11. He has spent time with him, pulling him to the side and pouring into him and also at times rebuking him. Um, he has he's done these things because he understands what Peter will have to go through later on. Look back at the verses there in the same chapter, verses 31 through 34, up above that, there's a great dispute going on among the, among the disciples. They are arguing over who is going to be the greatest among them. And in this argument, I don't know that Simon Peter is really involved in this argument. I can see James and John arguing this point, being brothers and arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Simon Peter's probably sitting off to the side and he's listening to them argue. And in his heart and in his mind, Simon Peter is thinking, you guys are wasting your breath because I know I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. I know, that I know how Jesus has poured into me. I know all the time He has spent with me. I know how He has corrected me. I know that, that, that I'm going to be. And Jesus is, is listening to these conversations that are going on. And suddenly in verse number 31, He says this. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster will, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. He tells Simon Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No, Lord, I'm ready to go. I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. According, uh, according to Simon Peter, later on in 1 Peter 5.8, every single one of us is Satan's target. He says there, the, the devil, our adversary, goes about like a roaring lion 
seeking whom he may devour. Simon Peter is experiencing this now. No matter who we are, no matter what our position, no matter who we are or who we have been, every single one of us is a target for Satan. Think about this, going back to John chapter 1, when Jesus meets Peter for the first time. Andrew has met Jesus, and Andrew is excited, and he goes and gets his brother Simon, and he says, Simon, we have found the one who we believe is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who has been promised to come to us. Jesus comes and he meets Simon, and he, what does he do? Meets him for the first time, and he changes his name. Now what if I was to walk up to you, Penny, and say, tomorrow, you're, today, you're Penny today, but from now on, you're Marie. You probably wouldn't answer, would you? But Simon knows. Simon knows immediately. Andrew's right. Andrew's right. Simon knows he's in the presence. He's in the presence of the Messiah. When you know that you're in the presence of the Messiah, when you know that you're in the presence of Jesus, you see, my name is still Michael, but I'm not still Michael. I'm somebody different. I, was, I met Jesus, and I, I gave my old life to Him, and I, I took Him into my I gave Him my life. I said, here's my life, take it. And, and He didn't change my name, but he changed everything about me. He changes Simon's name. And now we see here in Luke 22, as he's telling Simon what's going to happen to him, he goes back and he uses this. He says, Simon, Simon. He reverts back to Peter's original name because when he changed his name to, he changed his name to Cephas, which we interpret to be Peter, and Cephas means the rock. He says, you're going to be my rock. But Jesus goes back here in Luke 22 and He says, Simon, Simon. He reverts back to His original name because He knows that in the coming days this rock's going to crumble. And so He reminds him of who He is, where He's come from. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, the, the Apostle Paul gives us this advice. He says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. There's a spiritual principle here. There's a spiritual principle here that says we must always be on guard against Satan's attacks on our lives. We always have to be on guard against Satan's attacks on our lives, but particularly when we are vulnerable physically and psychologically. When we are vulnerable, when we are going through physical and psychological problems, when we have a lot on our mind, when we have a lot of worries, and we have a lot of stress in this life, those, that is one of the places where we have to be especially careful because that is one of the places where Satan will come in and try to take advantage of where we are physically or emotionally, and he will try his best to trip us up. Simon Peter is in one of those places right now. Psychologically, he has been told, just not long before this, he's been told by Jesus, I didn't come to, uh, to lead an insurrection against the government. I came to go to the government's cross and die on it for your sins. 
And Simon Peter since then has probably been psychologically just uh, uh, in shambles. And so Satan here, Jesus says Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Which means he wants to grind him. He wants to physically grind him and break him down. But Jesus said this, he said, I have prayed for you. Isn't that wonderful? Right now, Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And you know what He's doing? He's praying for you. Just as He was praying for Simon Peter, who He loved and who He walked with for three years, He's praying for you today to the Father. And that ought to give you the confidence to go into Monday morning and take on anything you've got to take on. Peter, verse 54 says this, it stresses this, Peter was following at a distance. There's indications of him following at a distance. He had self-confidence and he had a high opinion of himself and he had a low opinion of other people. He knew who he was in God's kingdom. He knew how Jesus had poured into him. He had become very prideful and now because of that, he's following at a distance. He's also asleep when he should be praying. In verse number 45, Jesus has asked them to watch and to pray for him. And he goes back and he finds Simon Peter is sitting, sleeping instead of praying. Some of you have your eyes closed right now, and I know you're praying. If God told me that I had one last sentence that I could say to you this morning as a believer... If he told me that I could stand here and I had one final thing that I could say and I had to say it in one sentence, I would say this. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. If you are not praying, you are giving up the power of God in your life. Paul said in Romans 14, 23, that when we don't pray, we are proving that we have unbelief in our hearts. Jesus in Luke twenty-two forty, just a few verses before, said, pray that you fall not into temptation. When Jesus modeled the great prayer in Luke chapter 11 at the beginning there, when the disciples asked Him, Lord, teach us to pray, one of the main key parts of that was, lead us not into temptation. When we are not praying, we are more vulnerable to temptation. So pray. And pray every day. Peter is found here sitting among the, the accusers of Jesus Christ in verse 55. And he, he thinks that there's advantages from follow, following from afar. He's thinking, if I follow from afar, I can still kind of keep my eye on Jesus from way over here, but I won't be numbered with the, the disciples. I, might, I just want to blend in. I don't want to stick out as a Christian. I just want to kind of blend in. How many of you are just blending in this morning? You want to know Jesus. You want to be able to pray when you have a problem. But when you're in the world, you just kind of want to blend in. You don't want to stick out. I had people come to me. When I became a Christian, I had people at work come to me and say, oh, hey, that's great, I'm a Christian too. And I was like, what? <laughs> Only time I've ever heard you use God's name. 
Amen? Just want to blend in. Don't want to, don't want to really stick out. Simon, Simon Peter's thinking here, he says, if I stay away, I might not get involved in the persecution or the prosecution that's coming. Just a little while before, he said, I'm willing to go to prison and die for you. But now, all of a sudden, he sees what is ahead of Jesus tomorrow, and he knows that tomorrow Jesus is going to suffer and die the cruelest death in all the world, the death on the cross, and now the cross has become a reality to Peter, and all of a sudden Peter says, well, maybe not. I'll just follow from afar, and I won't have to pay any penalty. I won't have to pay any price. The cross is a reality to him now. And the words of Jesus are probably ringing in his head in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus said, whoever will save his life shall lose it. So now we see the crowd looking for a disciple in verses 56 through 60. Jesus is at the center of the crowd's discussion here. They are sitting around, they're building fires, and they're sitting around and they're discussing what's going on with this man Jesus. And they're divided here as to who he is. Some of the people think that he's just a lunatic. Well, we've seen these other people come We've seen these other people come and say that they were the Messiah or, and they led groups of people astray and they were all crazy. So Jesus must be a lunatic. Others were saying, well, maybe he's a liar. Maybe he was just saying all these things and doing all these things. Maybe he was just lying and now he's got to pay the penalty for that lie. Maybe before this is all over, he'll admit that he was lying and he won't have to go to the cross. But there were probably a small group there that was saying, no, he's, he's the Lord. I witnessed what he did. I, I saw what he did. I know who he is. He's the Lord. You know that the crowd is still divided today? The crowd is still divided today. Jesus is still the most divisive name on all the earth. He's still the most divisive name on all the earth. Pope Francis got on a plane last week and flew somewhere to tell Christians that they needed to be more tolerant of Muslims. Well, Pope Francis wants to impress me. He'll fly to Iran and tell them to be tolerant of Christians. Sorry. Right now, in our world, a religion has declared war on the rest of the world and our, colleges, our college campuses are telling our kids, hey, be tolerant. Be tolerant. Right now, all these things are going on. I read, I read an article just this morning. Columbia Law School is encouraging their, their law students to spend a day learning how to meditate in a Buddhist fashion. But if I were to go to Columbia Law School and I would to say to them, hey, I want to come here and I want to talk about Jesus, I would be told that I was hateful and intolerant. Am I right? Jesus is still the most divisive name on all the earth. But you want to know what? He's the only name that matters. And someday, someday, He's coming back in His glory 
And He'll be King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The crowd is looking for a disciple. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. The crowd is more interested in Jesus than what you think. The world is more interested in Jesus than what you think. The world is spiritually seeking, the world is spiritually seeking a problem to their solution. The world has been told that education will solve their, 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 their problems. And we go and we get a degree and then we get a master's degree and we get a doctorate and we still have problems in this world if we don't have Jesus. The world has told us that government will solve all of our problems. And we as Southern Baptists have bought into it so much that since the 70s, we've spent more time trying to elect presidents than we have trying to tell our neighbors about Jesus. And the world's in a month, the government's in a, just as bad as, or a worse shape than it was before we got involved in it. Without Jesus, there is no answer. And the world is more interested in Jesus than what you realize. We're in a weird situation. We're in a weird place in the church today, in the world of the church. It's a situation that probably 20 or 25 years from now, our seminaries will study where we are right now. We're leaving the era of the megachurch. There are only a few of the megachurches that are really, really thriving the way that they were maybe 10, 15 years ago. Saddleback was the first one of those. And it spread, people followed their formula, and now, you know, there was this big, huge megachurch explosion. Now it's multi-campuses. We don't want to have the megachurches anymore. We want to have one central church, and we want, we want churches to go all over, and we want to plant churches, which I have no problem with. I have no problem with either. But I think what we will study most is where we are right now. And I think the word that we will look at more than any is the word relevant. Because we have used that word, and I used to be one of them. Hand to God. I used to be one of them. We've got to be more relevant. We've got to be more relevant. We are trying to design a church to reach people who are living in a world that they want to find an escape from, and we're trying to design the church to look like the world that they're trying to escape from. Now I'm all for, I'm all for if a tradition is not working, if something's, if if it's if it's man-made and it's not working and it's holding us back, I'm all for for it for it dying. But for us just to wholesale say we're gonna we're, we want to be the word relevant over and over and over. We're supposed to be distinct. We're supposed to be distinct. You want to be relevant. If you want to be relevant, live this Word every day. Pick up this Bible every day and read this Word every day. Because here's the, here's the choice we have. Christians make the church relevant or ir irrelevant by the way we live out or fail to live out the faith we, we profess. Because the world is not looking to come in here every Sunday and find me to be cool and hip? Because I ain't. Y'all think I'm kidding? My wife made me change clothes this morning as I was coming to church. 
They're not interested in how cool or how hip I am. They're not interested in whether or not they're going to uh, uh, something that reminds them of a concert. What they're interested in is this. Do we love them the way that this Bible says we love them? Will we be there for them in their time of need and struggle? Will we lift them up and will we pray with them? And will we give them opportunities as young people this young generation wants to change the world. They just don't know where, where to do it. This is the place where we can lead them to Jesus and bring them here and they can teach us how to change the world through missions and through what we can do here. I, I, I would love to be... Mm, I'm going I'm to try to stop, but I can't. We are, we are designing, all, every, everything I pick up says we need to design and do this to reach this group of people. Let me tell you something. Do that, and five years from now, you're going to have to redesign and redo everything you're doing because the generation behind them is completely different than they are. Build things on the gospel because the gospel doesn't change. I'm all for methods. But I know churches right now that spend more time every week talking about their lighting and about their stage presence and about all these things. And if they, they spend that much time talking about those things, they're neglecting this, I guarantee you. And this is what changes a life. Jesus is what changes lives. Now, that, that's not going to make me, that wouldn't make me popular at most of the conferences I used to go to. But I quit going. Because I'm not seeing a change in lives through a lot of these things. I'm seeing a change in life by people who are preaching the gospel. That's what I see. The crowd is looking for a disciple. The world is looking for people who will identify with Jesus. They're looking for people whose lives have been changed and transformed and who will help them to find that way also. Think of the impact that Peter could have had on that crowd. Peter's there in amongst of a crowd of people. Think of the impact he could have had on that crowd if he would have just stood up and testified to what Jesus had done in his life. To how Jesus had transformed his life. When we follow at a distance, the world suffers. When we follow from afar, the world suffers. Because they're not hearing what we need to tell them. Because we're following so far back, we're not close enough to Jesus. I know this, I read a statistic yesterday, 50% of church members won't be in church this morning. You think about that. 50% of church members won't be in church this morning. They don't know the preacher's name, much less do they know Jesus. Because they're, they're, we follow from afar. He denied the Lord again. So now the Lord looks at Peter. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Don't you know that it pierced his heart and soul? It pierced his heart and soul when he heard that rooster crow. And he knew that he had denied Jesus for the third time. Immediately, that rooster's clock was synchronized with heaven. It was a divine appointment. It was a divine appointment meant to pierce the heart of Simon Peter. 
It was only a crow, but to Peter it meant conviction. What's bringing conviction to your life this morning? What is it that God may be speaking to you about this morning? What is He bringing conviction to, uh, uh, to you about this morning? I would, I would beg you this morning to settle it with God immediately. And then we come to the crux of this matter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus looked at Peter when he denied him. And Jesus looked at Peter when the rooster crowed. Can you imagine when their eyes connected with each other? Can you imagine what was in Simon Peter's heart at that moment? The shame. The guilt that was there. What was in that look? Now if it had been any other person looking at Peter in that situation, it would have probably been a look of anger, a look of reproach, a look of condemnation. But it wasn't because this was Jesus looking at him. And in that look at that moment, there was grief. There was grief about this relationship that was stressed and strained at this moment. There was grief there about in Jesus' heart. And it showed in the look that He had. But there was mercy. And there was tenderness. And there was compassion for, for Peter. Because Jesus loved him. Loved him so much. That in that look, He's saying to Peter, I'm going to the cross for you. I'm going to the cross for this sin. Not only this sin, but every sin that you've ever committed or every sin that you ever will commit, I'm going to the cross for those sins. This morning, Jesus is looking at us and He's saying, I went to the cross for you. In your place. Instead of you, I went and took your wrath and your punishment. But see, the Lord wasn't finished with Peter at this point. Peter thought that everything was over. He goes outside and he weeps bitterly. But Jesus isn't finished with him. Because after the resurrection, Simon Peter rushes to see the empty tomb. Jesus tells the women at the tomb, go and tell the disciples and Peter. He distinctly sets Peter apart in that statement. He was forgiven for what had happened. And, and Jesus would use him later on to preach the most powerful message ever preached on earth outside of anything that Jesus said on the day of Pentecost. And Simon Peter would lead 3,000 new converts to Jesus. You see, it wasn't over. And it's not over for any of us here this morning. It's not over for any of us. Some of you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, I've done this or I've done that or I've been so far away from Jesus. I've followed so far at a distance. It's over for me. It's not. The same Jesus who pulled Simon Peter back in and said, I love you. I forgive you. I have work for you to do. He looks at us today says the same thing to us. Well, 
I'm glad I'll never have to look at Jesus that way. I'm glad Jesus will never look at me that way. Well, guess what? Someday, Jesus is going to look at you. Someday, Jesus is going to look at every person who's ever lived. And there's two situations there. In Revelation chapter 22, we see the great white throne of judgment. And we see Jesus Christ sitting on that throne. And we see there the message that says that anyone who dies lost apart from Christ, anyone who never found, never sought the forgiveness of their sins, anyone who never gave their life to Him, they will meet Him there at the great white throne of judgment and they will be cast into a lake of fire that was designed for Satan and his angels. But will be the place of eternity for many of those, for all of those who rejected Jesus Christ. And they will hear these words, Depart from me, I never knew you. There's another judgment, it's the judgment seat of Christ that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. And there, those of us who did give our lives to Jesus, who did get forgiveness of our sins, we will meet Him there. and He will look at us, and what will happen there is we'll be judged on how we lived as a Christian. And many there that day will say, will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words that I long to hear at the, at the end of this life. Because this is what's important. I made this statement earlier and I want to close with this statement. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. And the judgment that should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus. Jesus was rejected here in Luke chapter 22. He was rejected by one of His closest friends on this earth. And it hurt. But Jesus knew what was going to play out. and He knew that He'd have an opportunity again with, with Peter. and He knew that Peter would go on and he would no longer be afraid of facing the cross, but one day he would be martyred on a cross. And he would tell the Romans who were going to crucify him on that cross, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus turned my cross upside down. Simon Peter went from being ashamed of Jesus and following at a distance to being as you see in the book of Acts up into the 15th chapter to being the leader of the Christian movement and to being one who led countless thousands of people to Jesus and who established churches and who did great works for Him although He had rejected Him at that moment and hurt Him deeply. The greatest hurt that Jesus could suffer today would be for you to reject Him. The greatest hurt that he could, could take today would be after what he has gone 
through for you on the cross at Calvary for you to say today, I'll wait till another time. Not today. Maybe later. Or I don't really need that. That's not what I need in my life. That rejection would hurt him more than the rejection of Simon Peter or the rejection of those who stood around the cross that day and mocked and laughed at him. I would encourage you today that if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you today that in this time of invitation and worship that you would declare, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus and I'll gladly give it to Him and allow Him to use me in any way possible. Mike is coming now to lead us during this time. I want you to reflect on what we've talked about here this morning and to make a decision as to what you will do. If you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, there's no reason for you to leave here still lost in your sins. Would you stand? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your gospel. Father, I pray this morning I ask you, speak into our hearts. Holy Spirit, move in this place. If there are people here that you're dealing with this morning, give them the courage to move and to say, I want to know Jesus. Father, there may be those here today who need to follow through in believers' baptism, who need to follow through with membership, be united with a church that wants to make Christ known in every neighborhood in this city. Father, whatever it is, I pray that we use this time wisely and give it to you. In Jesus' name.